Welcome to the LifeLinks Leadership Podcast, insight and training from leaders around our network. Here's your host, Ian Bird. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome again to another LifeLinks Leadership Podcast, where our goal is to uncover the hidden leadership acumen within our network. Actually, today, I'm not really going to be uncovering hidden acumen. Uh, The person we're going to chat with today, Mark Hughes, Senior Pastor of Church of the Rock, I think his acumen is pretty visible to all of us. You know, he's got a great church that's impacted Canada and parts of the world. And of course, he's on national TV. Uh, He's on every week, coast to coast in Canada. So he's not hidden. He's he's someone out there who's really making a difference. So we're going to talk to him today about his newest book. He's a two-time author, uh, Greater Purpose, and now A Greater Passion is his next book. So Mark, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Ian, just great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate your willingness to, to do this. And uh, I hope you're you doing okay out there in winter, Peg. Is it uh, thawing out a bit? <laughs> well, we actually had one of the best winters ever. We uh, had two weeks of really, really cold weather, but so did everyone else in Canada <laughs> and the U.S. And other than those two bad weeks, uh, it was above, above freezing yesterday. So we're pretty happy. Well, there you go. Well, maybe we all kind of took the pain with you there this year. So actually, it, it just a side note, it was 10 years ago right now that Val and I and our family were living in Winnipeg at this time of year. They told us that February, March is the best time to live in Winnipeg. So I, think <laughs> I can't believe that was 10 years ago. Ian. That's I know. Incredible. It's it's flown by. It's uh, yeah. I mean, you you've aged every year of it. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. I actually feel like I have. (laughs) Well, church planning will do that to you, too. It will. Anyway, well, thanks again for for being willing to do this. And uh, so your book's called A Greater Passion. And I think probably the the best question to start with is what prompted you to, to write a book on passion? Well, it, it, it's sort of a simple answer on that. It actually came out of the first book, uh, and I did a whole chapter. The first book's called The Greater Purpose, and it's about finding your purpose in life, your divine purpose, that we are all created for a purpose greater than ourselves. That's the sort of general theme of it. And I did a chapter on our passion, and as I was doing that, I realized something, that you can't pursue your purpose in life without your passion, and those two things need to come in alignment. And I looked at that after one chapter, I thought, this isn't a chapter, this is a whole book. And so I knew immediately that what my next book was going to be. Uh, and they kind of work, they're, they're a set, they kind of work in tandem together. And so that's when I got into that. And I had no trouble finding a whole book on passion. Well, no, it's true, because it's a great book, having read it. And here's a, here's a cool thing, I'll just tell everyone listening. You know, I, I, I read Mark's first book while on a plane, and it felt like Mark was sitting next to me the whole time talking to me because the tone of the book was his tone. I mean, it's really well written. And then same same with this book. Um, if you like the humor, if you like those, those parts of Mark's ministry, which we're well familiar with, it's all in the book. Uh, so I encourage you to, to get a copy. So yeah, that, Mark- that, whole, that whole aspect of hearing my voice while you read it, it, everybody's told me that. And my kids managed to read both books but they both said it was terrible. It was like you were sitting there in the room narrating it to me. You don't need an audiobook, I guess. Uh, apparently not. They can hear my voice. 
<laughs> no, it's it's great. And and I like the reality of it, the realness of it. So in your first chapter, here's what you said about about your, your book. You you said um, passion is the fuel for life. You will hear that many times in this book. Life without passion is like an 800 horsepower race car without gasoline. It will go nowhere. It has all the potential in the world, but no fuel to move even an inch. And so I, I want you to start off, maybe comment on that, that statement and then dovetail it a bit with the fact that you use Solomon. King Solomon is your example of passion and I might say good and bad in the book so can you can you maybe just expound on that a little bit for us yeah you know you bet uh yeah I I, I sort of realized that that you know passion's not the not the engine passion is the fuel and we we are we all have huge potential we are all that 800 horsepower race car sitting in the driveway or on the track Every one of us, because we're created in the image of God, he has put this immense potential in every single one of us. And why is it that some people uh, achieve astronomical things and other people go almost nowhere with their life? And I don't believe it's because some people have so much more potential than the others. I think we all have huge potential. But the missing ingredient, the single missing ingredient is passion. It is the fuel. And when you find people that have excelled in life, and I write several chapters on it, and you look at these people, they are incredibly passionate people. And that's what drives them. That's what fuels them. And that potential comes out. And so for the, for the average reader, they need to recognize this fact that they have this huge potential, but if they don't capture their passion, they're not fueling it. They're not fueling their potential, and they're not going to move anywhere. And then, so as I started thinking about this, I, I've always used this expression that that uh, King Solomon, I've always referred to him in sermons and whatnot as the world's most passionate man. And I think that in history, I don't think you will find a more passionate person. Everything he did, he did to absolute excess. Uh, I mean, who has 700 wives and 300 concubines? Or as my daughter used to say, uh, 300 porcupines, who would want 300 porcupines? To which I would say, who would want 700 wives and 700 anniversaries and 700 mothers-in-laws? You know, nobody, nobody would want to. And there's something about this guy. I mean, imagine having a thousand women in your life. How would you remember their names? How would you keep track of anything? Here was a man that was so unbelievably fueled by by sexual passion, by, uh, you know, human passion, by spiritual passion, every aspect of his life, he did to wild excess. And I thought, you know, there's a book there. And I started to research it. And there's not a single other book written on this subject. People have oh. talked about the life of Solomon, uh, not near as much as the life of David. People love to write about the life of David. So there are a few books written on the life of Solomon. But nobody has connected Solomon and passion, which is really the one thing that separates him from every other uh, character in human history. So I decided I was going to sit down, use the life and the teachings of King Solomon. And honestly, I could have written a book three times as long. I barely scratched the surface. His life is so full of examples. It's unbelievable. Well, I, I in reading the book, I found the case study fascinating like honestly in the both good and bad examples 
of his passion. And even especially you look at the end of his life and his reflections on his life, right? And when he had a chance to look back, just what he had to say about how he lived. It, it is very fascinating. I'm shocked actually that there wouldn't be another book out there that would use him for passion because you're right. And, and you, you, you humorously do describe the whole scenario of him having so many wives and what that would mean for him. Um, it's amazing he had time for anything else. You know, how did he run a government? You know, you make a good point of that. So one of the things, speaking of time, how did he have time to do any of those things? Uh, in chapter three, you talk about time bandits. And so one of the things you talk about with regard to passion is that time is one of the greatest gifts that God's given to mankind. Once it's lost, it's lost forever. And so one of the things you talk about is how we can have passions, but we don't give the time to the passions, or actually we will give time to what we're passionate about. And so I wonder if you could kind of dig into that a bit and what some of these time bandits are in our lives that we need to be aware of. Well, you bring up a lot of different points there, but let, let me begin by saying this. I'm, I'm actually fascinated by time. I'm one of the few preachers you will ever hear that preaches on time travel and on those kinds of concepts. And not that I actually believe in time travel. I just find it really super fascinating because we live on earth. We live in the vector of time. We live from mo one moment to another and our life on earth is finite. We've only been given a certain amount of time. And the people that have achieved great things in life, and I use Bill Gates as an example, and I use Ted Turner as an example, and there's many, 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 many others, you know, Thomas Edison, uh, Elon Musk, you know, a modern example. These people use their time very judiciously, very circumspectly. They do not waste their time. And what if we look at the average person, the average person has huge time wasters in their life, which I call time bandits. Things that just consume time. We, we even use the expression, I'm just killing time. Why would anyone ever kill time no when it's such a limited quantity? And the, the real thing that separates high achievers from others, again, it's not potential, because I think we all have potential. It's simply the use of time. And what are you going to do with your life? Are you going to let the time bandits, and the time bandits are, are you know, they're many, they're, they're, they're television, they're television sports, they're sports that we play, they're, they're golf. And I'm not against golf, but I love to use it as an example, because it's, it's a quintessential time bandit, because it takes so long. Very long. You know, it, you're four hours on the course, you're half an hour to get there, you're shopping for golf balls and things, you're looking in the woods for your ball. It's, uh, and, and I golf. I golf once a year, whether I need it or not. So it's not like I don't <laughs> golf, but it's a huge consumer of our time. And you have people, I, I know people that golf 110 games a year, wow. 110 rounds. And I just think to myself, so they improve their handicap by two strokes. Well, what's that worth? It's not worth anything. What would happen if they took all of those hundreds of hours and invested it into something that was, you know, had kingdom value or family value or something else. And we all have our time bandits, myself included, you know, TV, movies, internet, cyber loafing on the internet, where you just literally screw around for hour after hour online and you accomplish nothing and you barely learn anything. 
And I'm a sucker for that stuff because I love YouTube. <laughs> and, and so we all have those bandits. And if we could, if we could deal with the time bandits and uh, wrestle those to the ground, uh, we would go a long way to becoming higher achievers. Every single one of us is a higher achiever waiting to happen. That, I like that statement. We've all, we've all got the potential, but are we going to put the time behind it? And I, I like the way you you also apply that to worthy causes, you know, and even you're a pastor, I'm a pastor, we lead churches and how sometimes people will say, I don't have time to be, you know, to volunteer, be involved. And um, the, the truth is we all have the time, like you said, it's whether we have the passion. Um, I, I actually think that's a, I actually think that's a lie. When people, when, you know, when, and as pastors, Ian, you know all about this. We ask people to do something. You say, well, can you volunteer for something or something? They say, oh, I would love to. I just don't have the time. Well, you actually told two lies. One, that you would love to, because <laughs> if you would love to, you would make the time. And number two, that you don't have the time. You have time for your golf and your computer and your video games and you know whatever else it is you do. So don't tell me you don't have the time. And here's what I've discovered, is that time follows passion. Whatever mm, you're passion is you will find time for that and and what the problem is we have misplaced passions and we have passions for things that are just time wasters and that's that's why i call them time bandits and, it, and it's the reason why people bump along in life and don't get anything you know really achieve what they could it's because they're they're just not following the real true passions that of course time is the factor in them well, and I think you really summarize it well in what you call the passion paradox fits in perfectly. Here's what you write. You cannot pursue your potential without passion, but sometimes it is your passions that get in the way of your potential. And that's what you're talking about. It's, it's, it's the wrong passions that stop you from your true passions. Yeah, that, that's, that's correct. And, you know, the, the example I use in, in the book is, and it's really one we can all relate to, and it, it's the disciples from the Sea of Galilee. Their passion was actually fishing. And so, you know, what happened was when they decided that Jesus was dead and gone, what, what, what are the words that came, come out of uh, Peter's mouth? He says, I'm going back fishing. Right. And the other said, we're going back with you. And so they went off back and what Jesus did, and, and I, I use this example, I think is really important, was when he met them on the, on the shores the first time, he didn't say, you guys are wasting your time. He didn't say, you know, you guys are a bunch of losers, you know, spending all this time fishing, even though you're no good at it, which they appeared to be. But rather he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Mm. And so what he did was he, he tweaked, he, he didn't, eviscerate their passion he redirected it from okay. fishing for fish to fishing for men and this is what i think god does with us because you know our passion might be sports or it might be writing or it might be speaking or it might be all these things and god wants to get a hold of that passion that we already have and get us to start using it for a more divine and more purposeful reason and what happens is we allow these uh, lesser passions, I'll call them, we allow them to steal uh, the ground from those greater passions that lead us into our purpose. And that's where the paradox comes in. You know, we, you can't pursue your passion, your, your purpose without passion. 
and sometimes our passion, our misguided passions, are the very things that prevent us from fulfilling our purpose. Oh, it's so well, so well stated. And something else that you that you say there is that greater passion is more often directed towards a whom than it is to a what. Maybe you could could you just comment on that for a moment? Well, yeah, if, if when you ask most people about their passions, you'd be probably not super surprised that most people will name a thing. And they'll say, oh, my passion is computers, or my passion is football, or my passion is hockey, or my passion is scrapbooking. And they almost always mention a thing. And when you look into scripture, and you look at what's really valuable, people are always, see, what did Jesus do? He switched their passion from a thing, fish, to people. I will make you fishers of men. And that was the pivot that he, he made. And as long as we're pursuing things, we're probably never going to find that greater passion because it's at the end of the day, it's just a thing. And, you know, we might get better and better at that thing, but we're not impacting people. And one of the examples I use in probably in both books, but for sure in the first book was this is that at the end of your life, what are you measured for? And, you know, when you're, I say, I always say, imagine your funeral. And not the flowers and the casket and what the hearse is going to look like. Don't imagine that. Imagine what people are going to say about your life when you're dead and, and gone. Because that's the legacy you leave behind. And let me tell you what they don't say. They don't mention your job very often. They don't mention how much money you made, what car you drove, how many RSPs you had or investments you had. They don't mention that stuff. Because those things have no eternal value. What do they talk about at your funeral? More, than, more often than not. They talk about how you imp impacted the lives of others. That's right. That is the only legacy we live, leave behind. The other is just, uh, you know, wood, hay and stubble. And it just gets burned up and the money gets distributed and the house gets sold off. And, you know, the garden we spent all our time in and there's nothing wrong with the garden, but it gets dug up and turned into sod. And so as long as we're focused on things, we don't leave that much of a legacy. So. And the more time, energy and resources we expend on other humans, the greater legacy we leave behind. What did Jesus do with his life? A hundred percent of his investment was in people. Right. And virtually zero percent on things. As far as I could tell, he didn't own anything. He had clothes on his back and even them, got, they got taken away. No, it's true. That, that, that is a really good point. And I've always heard people say, you know, you've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse heading to uh, a cemetery to take the guy's golf clubs and all this stuff and pack it exactly. in. With, nothing goes with them, right? Nothing yeah. goes with a guy or, or man or a woman. You, you, um, I really like in the chapter where you talk of the myth of balance. And, you know, balance is something that we hear a lot about, right? I mean, you know, you need to have a balanced life, you, you know, make sure you're balancing out. Um, but you say, you make a point there, you quote an author and you say, people really want satisfaction in life, not balance. I thought it was really a fascinating comment. Can you just unpack that a bit more for us? Well, here's, here's what, you know, if you, if you were listen if you were listening to what people are being told today by life coaches and, and, you know, success gurus they they talk a lot about balance and well you know you want to balance your life you know you want to balance your personal life and your work life this work-life balance they call it. but if you really look at it 
you recognize this, that it's an elusive pursuit. There's no such thing as balance. Because if you manage to get everything in perfect equilibrium, equilibrium, you had just the right amount of family life and just the right balance of your, of your workplace, and you go, finally, I've got this, you know, these scales of justice, that kind of balance, that, that you know, teeter-totter balance, you've got it just perfect. All you have to do is have one tiny little thing interrupt your life, and you're now out of balance. So something true. at work or something at home or your kid falls and knocks out a tooth or... All of a sudden, your life is grossly out of balance because you now have to invest this huge amount of time in something else. And the more I researched that, I realized balance is a complete myth. And I don't even believe we should be trying to pursue balance. I think it's a joke. And that's why I quoted that author because he said, look, that's not, people don't even want balance. It's not what they're searching after in life. What they want is satisfaction or meaningfulness, or they want their life to count for something. They want purpose. And if you look at the people like Solomon, for example, uh, who have really achieved great things in life, they were anything but balanced. And, what, and one of the things I scandalize people with is I say, G Jesus was not a balanced individual <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, he didn't have time for a family, a wife, a kids. He, he, he certainly didn't have all of the same responsibilities that we do. He didn't have to drive kids to school and to soccer, you know, games and music lessons and the orthodontist and all of these ridiculous things. He focused on one singular thing his entire life. There's nothing balanced about that. You know, why didn't he have a wife? And I'm sure there's other reasons. He had no time for a wife. That's true. <laughs> and there's no way on God's green earth that Solomon was balanced. You know, I don't call having 700 wives. Uh, I, he would neglect 99 uh, or 900 or whatever, 699 of his wives at any given time, because you're only giving attention to one. That's not balance. And so Solomon talks about it in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he words it completely different. He doesn't call it balance. He said, there's a time for everything under the sun. Oh, that's good. A time to be born and a time to die and a time for peace and a time for war and a time to sow and a time to reap. And there's nothing balanced about that. What that is, is a picture of the seasons of life. Very good. And you know this, Ian, you have seasons in your life where you're so stinking busy, you completely neglect Val and you can neglect your kids and you feel bad about it. But during that season, you probably didn't have any choice. You know, you had to get something done and you put your nose to the grindstone and you got her done. And then what you do is you probably will go, I'm going to have to make this up to Val or she's going to leave me. Absolutely. And so then you become imbalanced on the other side. Now you're, you're putting more energy into that. And it's the same reason why, and I'm not re recommending this to people, but I want to point it out. When you look at people like these high achievers, like the Ted Turners and like the Elon Musk's, they almost always have a disastrous family life. True. Because their lives have been grossly imbalanced. And I'm not suggesting that to people. What I'm suggesting is what people need in life is they need to be passionate people. Mm. And so that means I'm passionate for my wife. I'm passionate for my children. I'm passionate for my job. I'm passionate for the kingdom. I'm passionate for my prayer life. I'm not balanced in any of those things, mm, it's good. but because I have passion for my wife, I will make time for her because I put, I am passionate about ministry. 
I make time for ministry. And what I've discovered is if without trying to find some, you know, elusive and ephemeral balance of your life, instead what you do is you merely pursue your passions, have the right priorities, the right passions. And you know what? Everything kind of takes care of itself. Boy, I like that. And so you're kind of adjusting as you go, but you're not putting a, a, a lid on your passions. Like you're, you're, you're living, pushing in, but like you said, you're kind of having to adjust back and forth. And, and I think what you're, what you're also alluding to is, is, is the other lifestyle sounds kind of vanilla. It just, it just sounds okay. like, right? Like you, you're, you're, there's not, not an excitement. There's not a building. There's not a progress. And you're all, what I hear you saying is it's almost better to take the risk of pushing out there and having to adjust as you go than to play it safe and just kind yeah. of. Yeah, it's a, it's exactly what I'm saying. You know, we have, we hear this all the time. You know, people say, oh, Pastor Mark, I'd love to get involved with such and such. But, you know, my, at this season of my life, my family's my priority and we're really big into hockey. And, uh, and so, you know, I've got to balance things, you know, work and church. And so I don't really have time, you know, for that. And, and here's what I've discovered. I think that's totally bogus because here's what I've, I've discovered is that our best leaders, volunteer leaders in our church, Turns out they're the best husbands and wives, the best parents, wow. the, the best praying pe people, the most successful at their businesses. Why is that? Because they are passionate people and they're, pa and, they, and they're not just passionate for one thing like hockey. They're actually passionate for everything. And it's almost, it's almost ridiculous when I look at it, almost every one of our leaders has great marriages, great families. And I think, why is that? How come they all of a sudden have time for it? Because they're passionate people. And that's the big difference. Well, and, and, and one of the things I've heard over the years, and you probably heard this too, is if you want something done, give it to a busy person, give it to somebody who's already in motion. But what you would say, I think, is give it to someone who has passion. You want something done, give it to someone who's already exhibiting passion. They'll get it done and they'll figure out how to get it done, right? That, invariably that's, that's exactly what we find out yeah no it's so good mark i i really appreciate that now in your book you and we we won't have you know this is zooming past here this interview but you you have some really good sections where you talk about marriage you talk about family i mean for parents it's awesome even the aspect of marriage i i thought it was very very practical you go through the four big c's of a successful marriage but i do want to jump to one thing it's kind of a little bit random, but can you share the toilet seat theory with us as far as the success of a marriage, predicting the, uh, the successful, uh, you know, aspect of a marriage? I can. Uh, it's an interesting story. I'll, I'll just give the four C's quickly to gotcha. people's appetites. You know, their communication, common interests, consideration, and Christ. And th those four things are the four pillars, I think, that make a successful marriage. And the toilet seat theory um, is actually in the, in the aspect of consideration, which by that, I mean, being thoughtful of the other person. And uh, there's some research that's been done and, and the references are all in the book, but it's fascinating. And this psychologist have determined that he can uh, determine from, uh, by going and looking at the toilet seat in a person's house, whether that marriage is gonna succeed or not. And if the man uh, does not put that toilet seat down, 
he can predict that that marriage will probably fail because he does not have enough consideration for his spouse to do a simple thing like put down the toilet seat. And it's a little bit playful, like it's whimsical. It's not supposed to be this be all end all, but he calls it the toilet seat theory. And, you know, all you have to do is look at those aspects in people's marriages. And if they're not considerate, and it's not just men, right? Uh, But if those, if the person is not considerate of the other person, the chances of that um, marriage succeeding are very, very low. And he's got a track record, not from the toilet seat, but from an interview, which he refers to as the toilet seat theory, that he can figure out in about five minutes whether that marriage is going to fail or succeed. Just because of the, of the attitudes that spouses have towards each other. And that's primarily considered. And it's, a, it's a fascinating study. It's a, that chapter alone is worth the read. Yeah, no, the, the whole section where those four C's are impact, I, I really, I need to go back and look at them myself, Mark. They're really, really challenging. Well, start by putting down the toilet seat. <laughs> well, you betcha. I, actually, I'm already practicing that. My wife made that clear to me uh, years ago in our marriage. So <laughs> yeah, she, she wasn't quiet on that one. Um, <laughs> one of the things that, I, you know, so you talk about marriage, you talk about children and you say that in terms of investment there's nothing in this world that you will devote more time energy and heartache to than your children and you talk about because of that we need to take our role seriously and passionately as parents do you want to just maybe chime in on that for a couple minutes yeah i i actually believe that our first and greatest mission field is our family and you know i'm not I'm, I'm off the subject of balance for a moment. Uh, I, I do think there is priorities in life. And, and our family is a primary priority that God has given us. You, you, all the way through scripture, the whole scripture is about family from beginning to end. Practically every story is a story of a man or a woman and their family and how they, how they navigated that, that journey. And for me, uh, you know, that's if we if we mess that up and here's what's happened let me let me back it up this way Uh, particularly coming from the world of ministry but business and other things are the same is that what we will do is we will sacrifice our children of on the altar of ministry or on or business or our sports and i think that's one of the greatest mistakes we can ever make because you can't because it comes back to the time factor you can never get back that time and if you were away you know for 10 years of your life you were an absentee father building some ministry or some business those are 10 years you can't reclaim those kids got older and you missed it and you know it was uh billy sunday who said this he said i brought thousands of people to christ but i lost my own children mm-hmm. you know before there was billy gray and billy sunday uh and he realized what a mistake he made and the story of his children is absolutely tragic uh, suicides and death and none of them serving the Lord and alcoholism. And he really, he really blew it. And that was a mistake I wasn't willing to make. I made that decision early on in ministry. I'm never going to sacrifice my children on the altar of ministry. I'm not going to do it. And even Billy Graham, if you read his book, uh, just as I am, or is it just as you are? I always forget how the title of it. (laughs) It's named after the song. Uh, anyway, at the end of his book, 
uh, I was curious as to what his regrets were gonna be. And interestingly enough, this is exactly what his regrets were. He said, I should have said no to more invitations. And there was aspects of my children's lives that I missed out on because I made myself too busy and went and did stuff I probably didn't need to do. And I probably didn't have to say yes every time I got invited to another country. I'm thinking, boy, if Billy Graham made that mistake, then we're probably making the same one. And for me, the, the greatest trophy of any pastor or any Christian has got to be your kids loving Jesus and serving him. And I have no greater joy in my life. And, uh, you know, I love my church. I'm grateful for all the people who have come to Christ and all the lives have been changed. But they don't mean anything near as much to me as the fact that my three grown children are all love Jesus and are all in the church and serving Jesus. For me, that's the greatest success story I have. And and you should feel that way. You got great kids and you've definitely done a good job with them. I I recall getting into the ministry and someone who'd been in the ministry ahead of me saying that he realized that he had spent countless hours with people who in the end were no longer part of his church or never fully grew up anyway and matured. And he did that at the expense of his kids who were always going to be with him, who were his lasting legacy of his life. And it, it, it's always stayed with me, you know, cause, cause the reality is, yeah, there's a lot of people in our ministries. They may be there for 40 years or they may be there for four months and our kids will be there. So anyway, I appreciated what you had to say about that. I thought that was really good. And the last thing we'll touch on here, again, so much we could touch on, but I really want to encourage you to get the book because it, it, it's excellent, is um, you talk about Jesus sharing and teaching on money more than any other subject other than the kingdom of God itself. And um, you, you said that there are a few things in life that are more difficult to bring into balance than money, more difficult to steward properly. And so basically you, you went through three stages and you unpack it really well in gaining wealth. And it's, it's grind it out, get good at it and give it away. And so can you finish off by maybe just, you know, touching on that briefly, those, those kind of three aspects and even especially the the whole kind of idea of giving it away which which is a good way to end the uh the interview yeah it's i always found that a bit fascinating that jesus talked so much about money and uh, lots of people have come to that observation uh and the reason is it's on a god-like level he said you cannot worship both god and mammon and mammon is is a little bit more of a personification of money it's not money it's for self per se, but it's wealth or riches. And, and uh, we don't want to put it on that level. However, uh, you know, on the, as Zig Ziglar said, on the God of need scale, it's somewhere near oxygen. <laughs> you know, it's, you go on the God of have scale. And so you have to have it. And I think what the scripture does is it gives us a, a pretty good formula that's not that complicated. And and the first thing is, is diligence. Uh, you know, the hand of the diligence ma makes one, one wealthy. And you just have to grind it out. You just have to work hard. And I'm a big believer in it. And I mean, you've worked with me, Ian. You know I'm a hard yeah, worker, absolutely. super disciplined and uh, not afraid of hard work. And so, you, and so that's the first thing. And, and I don't want to spend too much time on that. But then once you do that, once you grind it out, work hard, 
if you will stay committed on a on a particular track and not bounce around too much, then you get good at it. Mm. And one of the things that mistakes that people make in life is they're jumping from job to job, career to career, and they never get good at it. And every time you change careers entirely, and the average person will change careers seven times in their life, you start again. You don't start at the top True. ever. Right. You start at the bottom. And, you know, for someone like me, I've been doing this ministry thing for uh, 39 years. Wow. And uh, when you do something long enough, you actually get good at it, <laughs> you know, and, and people say, oh, wow, you know, Pastor Mark, you were, well, well you know, you're an overnight success. I said, that overnight was 39 years. <laughs> and uh, I'm just, I'm actually not that, I should be a lot better at it considering how long, I, how long I've done it. But if you do something long enough, you get good at it. And when you get good at it, people pay you for it. It's good. And you will succeed. It hardly matters what you do. If you get good at something, someone will pay you well to do it because you're good at it. And then the third piece of this, of course, is that you're never rich until you start giving it away. So good. And, and you know, that's always, you know, my sort of thing, and it's in the book as well as this, is I've never, ever had a desire to be rich. I'm actually not very motivated by money. I'm actually probably under motivated by it. <laughs> Kathy thinks I should be a little bit more motivated <laughs> by money. I'm just not. And it's just the way I'm wired. And I, I don't, I do things for bigger purposes than that. But here's what I, I don't, so I don't want to be rich, but I don't ever want to be cheap. I don't want, ever want to be stingy. Yeah. And I don't ever want to not have enough wealth to help someone else. And see, the goal to have just enough money to get by is a terrible goal. Yeah, I agree. I don't believe that's biblical. He says that he will uh, cause all grace to abound you, that you would have sufficiency in all things and an abundance for every good work. And if we don't have an abundance to give to the gospel, to give to missions, to help other people, then we're poor. And the, the uh, so to me, wealth is not having cars and houses and boats and all that jazz. That stuff bugs me to no end. Uh, the idea of being wealthy is having enough to give to every need. And every time we see a need, I have sufficiency to do something beyond myself. That's a good definition. And that to me is the true essence of riches. Yeah, no, I really like that. And and you make that, again, you really give a picture of the blessing of that and, and kind of the abundant life of, you know, it's like going back to what you said earlier, the legacy you want to leave and how that's a big part of it, right? The lives you touched, the money you gave and the eternal treasure that comes from us giving and serving. So just good stuff, Mark. Thanks again. Thanks for this, uh, this interview. And I just want to commend, uh, we're going to ask Mark just in a moment here, just to pray for all of us. But I just want to again, commend this book to, to everyone. If they want to get this, is the best place Amazon for them to, to pick this You know, up? actually, uh, if you were going to get the ebook, Amazon's the best place. If you wanted uh, to a hard copy, uh, the best place would be Church of the Rock. And okay. we can provide it for you cheaper and faster. And, uh, and uh, we can give people a deal on buying both books together. We have a package deal on Greater Purpose and Greater Passion. So it's churchoftherock.ca, or you can go on our website and you can either order online through our website or phone. And if you want the ebook, then then Amazon, we don't have that, but Amazon has that. So that would be the best way to get it. 
No, that's great. And if they wanted to ask you a question personally or comment, is there is there an email or any way they could do that? Yeah, fat chance on that. <laughs> <laughs> My email address is marketchurchoftherock.ca. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I, I know you're a busy guy, so we don't want to flood you with too many emails, that's for sure. Anyway, could you pray for us about this? As yeah, we go? you bet. Yeah. Uh, Father, uh, we are so grateful to be created in your image with this immense potential. And Lord, we ask, and I ask in particular for every listener and every person tuning in today, that you would stir their greater passion the passion that you have placed in their heart from the foundation of the earth, that one that aligns so perfectly with their purpose that would take them on to achieve great and wondrous things for your glory and not for theirs. And Lord, we all need some help on this. We all fade away from it. We all get distracted by the time bandits and we all get pulled in so many different directions. And we get oftentimes lost in it all when it's really not that complicated. It's just a matter of taking those things that you put in our life that are real true priorities, like our family and like our ministries and like our spouses and like the people that you've surrounded us with and putting our, our time and our energy and our passion towards them. And we know that you will do uh, above and beyond what we think or ask. And Lord, we're so grateful for that. And I ask that you move mightily on each of our behalf in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Mark, thanks again for your time. Thanks so much for sharing this with us. And again, I want to encourage all of you to, to get a copy. You won't regret it. And God bless you, Mark. I pray the Lord helps you as you continue in your purpose and in your passions. And all of you listening as well, God bless. And we'll be back again soon. Watch for another one uh, coming out in the near future. Thank you for joining us for the LifeLinks Leadership Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at podcast at lifelinks.org.